Good evening. Today is July 18th, 2023, and we're studying the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. This week's chapter is more about alcoholism, and our speaker tonight is Patrick B. Thank you so much, Patrick B., and take it away. Thank you, Chanel. Um, and thank you all for being here. Uh, my name's Patrick. I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, grateful to be alive and abstinent and in a sacred place called Overeaters Anonymous. And I do consider this fellowship to be sacred because it's here that I accessed a power greater than myself that relieved me from a fatal obsession. Um, and uh, I'm also grateful to Heidi for the invitation, last minute as it was. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm always happy to be of service. I'm, I get to do these things, right? That, that, that's the attitude I take is, is that I get to be of service to Overeaters Anonymous, uh, a fellowship that, that took me from the, from the depths of, of um, morbid obesity and, and, and near fatal uh, disease to, um, to health and, and, and uh, an abstinent way of life. And more important, mind, body, and spirit all traveling in the same direction. Uh, my back-to-back -back black and white abstinence date is um, August 26th of, of 2020. I've been in Overeaters Anonymous since 2015. I've been relieved of over 200 pounds and put my type 2 diabetes in full remission. Um, so I am, I am uh, I'm grateful for the miracles that have occurred in my life one day at a time. Um, and the big book has been central in that. I come to you from the grandfather fellowship that this big book was published originally for. Uh, I was 11 years sober from alcohol um, and dying of, of, of morbid obesity and, and type 2 diabetes, telling you that I was living a spiritual life. Uh, in 2015, I got 12 steps into Overeaters Anonymous at the 2015 uh, over or Alcoholics Anonymous International Convention. Um, a responsible recovered member of this fellowship in Overeaters Anonymous sat down with me and um, and saved my life because she held me accountable to living an actual spiritual life. Um, and because I had lived one in theory, there, there's some there's some material in the big book, but in in step ten about the spiritual life is not a theory; we have to live it. And I clearly wasn't living it, and I get to do that today as a result of of, of my membership in this fellowship and my other fellowship as well. So I'm grateful. Um, I take you to the first paragraph that describes me perfectly in in more about alcoholism on page thirty. Most of us have been unwilling to admit we were real alcoholics. No person likes to think he is bodily and mentally different from his fellows. Therefore, it is not surprising that our drinking careers have been characterized by countless vain attempts that we to prove that we could drink like other people. The idea that somehow, someday, he will control and, and enjoy his drinking is the great obsession of every abnormal drinker. The persistence of this illusion is astonishing. Many pursue it into the gates of insanity or death. And that was certainly the case with me with food. Um, I was pursuing it into the gates of insanity and death. I was, I was, um, 
I put on uh, in in 2009. I had a triple bypass at five years sober from alcohol, and I put on 150 pounds in the ensuing six years. I don't know any cardiologist that would recommend that as a recovery process from a triple bypass. And it turns out that if I when when I got to Overeaters Anonymous and I looked at my history with food, that food was the first drug that I accessed. I grew up in an alcoholic home where I was witness to and victim of things that no child should be witness to or victim of. And I'd love to tell you that's why I'm a compulsive overeater. But why I'm a compulsive overeater is laid out in the doctor's opinion in this book. I have an allergy to certain foods, particularly white, in my case, particularly refined sugar and white, white flour. Um, and others, by the way, that later I found out uh, through a couple of relapses in, in OA, um, some other trigger foods for me. Um, it was a process of elimination. But today I, 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 I live with a, with a food plan. Um, I'm an abstinent member. I, I have a sponsor that I call my food into every day. I, I don't tell other people they have to do that. I just, that's what I do to stay abstinent. Uh, I weigh and measure my food because I need those boundaries. Um, I don't tell others they have to do that. I have to do that. And, and, and the, interest, the, the beautiful thing about that is, is that for me, the results speak for themselves. Um, and, and in order to take those spiritual actions each day in my life around the food, I have to have accountability. I have to be willing to be accountable, right? And so I have to understand that this first paragraph, which really describes my first step, and remember that the first 43 pages of the big book are all about one subject, step one, right? We get to step two on page 44 and we agnostic, but there's 43 pages of ink dedicated to the idea, uh, are you powerless over food and is your life unmanageable? And for me, I always thought the unmanageability was the weight and the health issues and the, and the, and the, and the busted relationships and the poor work performance um, and all of that stuff. And, and those were consequences of my compulsive overeating. The thing that was the most unmanageable was the idea that I could somehow someday control and enjoy my, my eating. Because if I had to control my eating, I didn't enjoy it. And when I was enjoying it, it was out of control. And then I didn't enjoy it anymore and it stayed out of control. And what to do then? Um, and I live in the pure insanity of, of this. Um, and, and I'll report to you that all's well. If you question me on my, on, my, on my weight gain or you question me on my appearance or you question me on these things, my, my standard response is fine, I'm fine, all's well. And I'm living in this first paragraph. And I won't admit what was killing me was my desperate need to be right about who I was. My desperate attachment to the idea that I wasn't a compulsive overeater, because how could I possibly be? I've already solved this one issue in my life, quote unquote, solved it. But now I'm using food alcoholic. Um, which has cost me dearly, by the way. My legs are, are numb from the knees down. I'm missing four of my toes from the consequences of chronic neuropathy that type two, type two uh, caused. By the way, in my return to health, I climbed a 12,000 foot, I went up a 12,000 foot mountain trail last year. 
I have photographs of me next to an altitude sign. So the miracle of recovery, the miracle of health, right? Uh, that, that, that I got restored to. That's what's available here. If you're new or if you're coming back um, from, from relapse, I want to assure you that the big book talks to us about something called permanent recovery, right? Permanent recovery. There's a, um, on the, on the, and I'm guessing that this closes the meeting, but oddly enough on, on your, on your page here, there's a reading from more about alcoholism, right? It, it, and it says that, you know, two of the members of Alcoholics Anonymous came to see me. Well, one of your members came to see me at that, at that, at that convention. And I had always thought that she was a member of, of my, my fellowship. Well, it turns out her husband was, she was an OA member and, and she 12 stepped me. You know, if you think you're a little wackadoodle in this thing, I got 12 stepped at an international convention, 12 step convention, uh, into another 12 step fellowship. So I had to fly a thousand miles or 1500 miles from my house to Atlanta, right? To be 12 stepped into a, into an OA meeting that ended up being about a mile and a half from my house. <laughs> Thank God. Right. I'm, but only me, I mean, you know, I I'm, I'm not too quick on the uptake. Um, and in that meeting, I began to learn the, the basics of this. I, I began to learn about the tools of Overeaters Anonymous, but I also learned about the, about the need for the spiritual. And what I'd always tried to do was transfer my credits from my other fellowship. And what I found out, what, what you people so, so gently told, told me, or not so gently in some cases, was that my, my credits don't transfer here. That I need you and your experience with compulsive overeating. I need... I need other recovered compulsive overeaters in my life who are willing to hold me accountable, particularly in, in sponsorship, but also in general to abstinence and not just abstinence, but spiritual living. And then I have to carry the message to those who still suffer, right? Which is why I sponsor a couple of men in this program. And, and I, and I'm, um, I'm, I'm available to do service at, at basically whenever I'm asked, right? Um, I'll take you to, to, uh, to page 31 as well. There's, there's a, you know, another sort of reinforcement of what I'm talking about here. It says, despite all we can say, many who are real alcoholics are not going to believe they are in that class. By every form of self-deception and experimentation, they will try to prove themselves exceptions to the rule, therefore non-alcoholic. Right? I tried to prove that I was an exception to the rule regular time. Gotcha, Susan. Thank you. Um, by, by doing any number of things. I'm not a guy that did the diet clubs and all of that. I just kept putting on weight. Um, and, and what I would do is just defend that. Like, you know, they, I, I, sure, I enjoy food a little more until it was undeniably unhealthy. And here's the problem with that. I nearly killed myself with beverage alcohol at 44 years old. My family had to watch that. And 11 years later, after Right. And, and by the way, not all my time in AA was spent, you know, poorly. Um, somewhere between, you know, year five and, and year 11, that's when things really got hairy. But but I, I recovered in that fellowship. And, and I there was a lot of good that was done, but I wasn't living completely in 10, 11 and 12. I wasn't executing the actions that are laid out in the big book around the spiritual life. I, I had an experience, right, with it, 
And then I set aside the disciplines of 10, 11, and 12, the strict spiritual disciplines that are laid out in the book. And, you know, people, there's nothing strict about the big book. They're all suggestions. Okay, yeah, like, like strapping on a parachute when you jump out of an airplane, in my case, because I've got one choice. Do the work or die. It's that simple for me. And here's, here's how I know that. I was in the hospital with two years of abstinence in Overeaters Anonymous. And I was about to have the, the first two toes on my left foot um, amputated. Now, there was a chance that if, if I had a bad infection and they had to hang IV antibiotics, and there was a, and one of which was vancomycin, which if you know anything about medicine, vancomycin is the last gasp. It's the Hail Mary. If it doesn't work, they amputate the limb that's infected, typically. And they were talking about doing it from the knee down. And I had a dark night of the soul. I, I, I you know, they, they screwed up my metabolic snack in the kitchen. Typically, when something like that happened, I had an agreement with my sponsor to, to call um, to call and ask what I should do um, in, in that situation. I refuse to do that because I'm an extreme example of self-will run riot, though I usually don't think so, like the book says. And I've got a little four-year-old that lives in my head that when, when something suggested that I, I do something uh, good for me, I, I have a little four-year-old with a one-word one vocabulary and it's, yeah! And that's what happened. And I had a can of cashews and I, I binged on the cashews. I ate a two pound can of cashews in the hospital about to suffer dire consequences of my own. And people say, well, Patrick, why do you take this so seriously? Because my disease wants me dead. It'll settle for me with a can of a two pound can of cashews in the hospital and it'll do anything to get me there. And people, you know, that, that tends to be a controversial stance. So you're talking too darkly about the nature of the illness, Patrick. Well, I'm sorry, but it says it right here in the book, right? It, 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 insanity or death. And that's an insane thing to do. Um, I like Jim and Fred in this, right? Um, you know, on page 36, suddenly the thought crossed my mind that if I were to pour an ounce of whiskey in my milk, it couldn't hurt me on a full stomach. You know, everybody giggles at the idea that the guy poured whiskey into his milk. And what I'll report to you is that the most dangerous words in that sentence are suddenly the thought crossed my mind. Suddenly the thought crossed my mind that eating a two pound can of cashews had solved my problem which by the way, postponed my surgery by two days and could have cost me my leg. Fortunately, it ended up just being my toes. Um, you know, thus started one more journey to the asylum for Jim. Here was the threat of commitment, the loss of family and position to say nothing of that intense mental and physical suffering, which drinking always caused him. He had much knowledge about himself as an alcoholic. At that point, I had much knowledge about myself as a compulsive overeater. Yet all reasons for drinking were not easily pushed aside in favor of the foolish idea that he could take whiskey if only he mixed it with milk. 
that I could take a few cashews as a snack and not compulsively overeat if I wasn't accountable about what's going in my mouth. I'm a guy that has to be accountable about what's going in my mouth with someone else. It has to be reported. It has to be weighed and measured. And it has to be not varied. That's who I am. And once, thank you, Susan, once I got once I got clear on that idea, it became very simple. For me, a spiritual act is to do the things I need to do with the tools of Overeaters Anonymous. That's a spiritual thing for me. Putting food on a scale is a spiritual act for me every time I do it. And people, will you really weigh and measure in a restaurant? Yep. I've only been questioned once and I looked at the person that questioned me because it was done in a rather rude manner. And I'm saying, and I just said, listen, it won't kill you. It'll kill me. And if you've got a problem with that, I don't care because I don't. I know what Overeaters Anonymous in the spiritual path that's laid out in this book has given me. It's given me freedom from the bondage of self. It's given me the ability to, to be of service to other human beings in this area, right? It's given me my life back. I've done more traveling in the last five years of, of, of abstinence than I did in my entire previous 15 years. Because I fit in an airplane seat. I'm not uncomfortable everywhere I go. I go, I go to concerts now. I, I, you know, anybody that follows me on Instagram, it's it's basically all concert stuff. Because I, I, try, I get to travel all over the country and, and see the kinds of bands that I like to see because I'm, 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 I'm free. Um, bottom of page 37. Our behavior is as absurd and incomprehensible with respect to that first drink as that of an individual with a passion for, say, jaywalking. And then it goes through the jaywalking. And, you know, everybody reads this paragraph. It's like, oh, yeah, the jaywalker, that's me. Think about what that's like for your family. That's the problem that I, I, I couldn't get to until I got to the amends. And, and my sister said to me, Patrick, I had to watch you almost drink yourself to death. And then I had to watch you almost eat yourself to death. I didn't know what to do and I didn't know how to help. And I said, Sheila, there, there wasn't anything you could do to help. This is a God-sized problem. So we get to the, the chapter that, that follows this, we agnostics, and we're like, well, really? We got we got to invite God into this? Why, why God? You know, I've got objections and esoteric avant-garde arguments against spiritual life. And meanwhile, my disease is kicking other people's ass, including mine. Okay, don't invite the spiritual in. And then don't wonder why you're lonely. Or the, the quality of your relationships is poor. It, it, you know, I don't have the power to make choices around food. And once I got okay with that idea, I started a being able to make choices around my food because I, I got guidance from people in Overeaters Anonymous and a nutritionist and my doctor on how to do that. And I started following directions. You know, in the in the in, in spiritual experience in the back of the book, it talks about honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness. Are you willing to be honest about what you're doing with the food? Are you willing to be open-minded about the idea that maybe somebody else can help you with it? And are you willing to take the actions that are necessary for that to occur in your life? Where do you sit with that today? Because it doesn't matter how long you're in here. 
I can get squirrely today. And by the way, once I get the food in, you know, once I get abstinent, how am I showing up in the world? It says a more important demonstration of our principles in our homes, occupations, and affairs. That means that I have to take this program out into the world and live with some sanity and some love and some compassion and some understanding and some kindness and some willingness, right? And I can't demonstrate those things if I'm thinking about what's going to go in my mouth in the next 15 minutes. It's just not possible for me. Thank you, Susan. So I always like to talk about page 43, right? And maybe some, maybe, you know, maybe some of the, the questions or whatever can be around this or, or, or just comments, but, or, or theme, but the last paragraph on 43, where it says once more, the alcoholic has at certain times has no effective mental defense against the first drink, except in a few rare cases, neither he nor any other human being can provide such a defense. My sponsor, my doctor, all of you, you can't help me. My defense must come from a higher power. Now, I do believe that I can access a higher power with you and through you, but you ain't it. But the wisdom you give me can be. I'm really grateful I got an opportunity to, uh, to, to be of service on this meeting tonight. Again, thank you to Heidi for the invitation. Thank you all for being here. My name is Patrick Bale. I'm a compulsive overeater. And I'll pass. Well, thank you so much, Patrick. We will now open the meeting for questions or three-minute shares. And as this is a big book study, sharing and questions should relate specifically to the chapter and step being studied this week. We ask you to accept this guideline in order to keep the meeting on track. If you'd like to share or ask a question, please raise your virtual hand, which is under reactions or star nine if you're on the phone and the Zoom host will call the raised hands in order and ask you to unmute when it's your turn. Would Susan, our timekeeper, please set a timer for three minutes for each share and announce when the time is up. And if Patrick has asked a question, please allow three minutes for his answer. And now we will take First, we have Nancy G. Go ahead, Nancy. Hi, thank you, Patrick. That was fantastic. There were a few things you said that really struck home, like the attachment to being right. I'm still dealing with that every day. And it's really hard almost as a sponsor because it's like, I feel like I'm right in telling my sponsees what to do, but am I? I really don't know. I pray about it sometimes. But it's really interesting, the thing you said toward the end, that, you know, we are defenseless against that first bite. And I had an experience about four days ago where I just, I, the, the compulsion and the twist of my mind got me and said, you need a latte and an egg white bite. And I, I left where I was and I drove to Starbucks and I parked and I walked out towards the door. And almost as I got to the door, I thought about my sponsees. And I thought, how can I do that? I have sponsees, I'm accountable to them also. And then of course it was after, and so I didn't do it. And it was like, thank you, God, thank you, God, thank you, God. But also I think that's the call for, that's why we have to sponsor because that that gives us another level of accountability. And I, I love it if you would like to riff on that and give us your wisdom. So thank you and I pass. 
I don't know. I don't know how much wisdom I have on that. That that's of my own, uh, you know, idea. But but I can tell you that that it's the accountability. What you're speaking about is being accountable to the people that you sponsor, and I think accountability is a, is a key factor here. I think sometimes we in in twelve step um, in a, in a twelve step fellowship, it's it's we can sign off on other people's BS, right? We we're we're you know recovery is a part. A part, you know, relapse is a part of recovery. No, it's not. It's a symptom of the disease. Now, I'm a guy that's relapsed twice in this fellowship, so I don't beat people up for, obviously, for relapse. But what I'll report to you is that what I found out is, is that what the book teaches me is that if I'm in that mode, there's something wrong with my spiritual condition. So I have to look at my willingness to take regular inventory, right? Am I, am I, do I do prayer and meditation? And by the way, that 10 step inventory, that's interesting because people say, well, I do my 10 step every night. It's here's what the book says. Who are you reporting that to? We speak to someone immediately, you know, not waiting, but, but immediately. Um, and, and so it's, it's for me, I have to be accountable at a level that's, slightly uncomfortable occasionally not not you know brutally but just a little more than i signed up for originally right just a just a hair more accountability around what's going in my mouth when it's going in my mouth so that i can i can access this spiritual path without interference from food thank you and thank you for your question, Nancy. Let's go ahead and go to Carla H. Go ahead, Carla. Thanks so much, Chanel. Patrick, thanks so much. I'm Carla from the Bay Area of California, compulsive overeater, recovered today. Uh, Patrick, I I loved I loved so much of what you said in in what different terms I've heard. One of the first things I heard when I got here is that time is not a tool. And that was so powerful for me because I celebrate everything. <laughs> I'm a real celebrator. I celebrate my abstinence. But I want you to know that celebration, because it is a fact of what's happened, doesn't mean I've arrived at anything. Um, the thing that keeps me on the cutting edge with my recovery is working with brand newcomers because I'm a newcomer. You know, four years, I still haven't even thought out. <laughs> I was actually told that after a year and it hurt my feelings. <laughs> uh, but the fact is, um, like you, I got here with attitudes, beliefs and opinions that had ruled my life. And when I was challenged with, with the comment that I had the life I chose to have, I really took exception to that. I thought, oh, no, you don't understand. <laughs> then I worked the steps. And guess what? I did. And I do. I had built a prison of my own making, and I had no idea I was in prison. Um, I never knew what freedom looked like. I didn't even know to hope for it. And yet today, as I live free from the bondage of this disease, but, but more than that, the prison of my own beliefs, attitudes, and opinions, because when I am disturbed, I know it's because I have a belief that something should be different than it is. Then as I turn in the set aside, I call it a lifestyle, asking my higher power to set aside what I think I already know, 
and to open my mind. And when you talk about willingness, you know, I, I was told that willingness without action is a fantasy. And so with the very first assignment I had from my sponsor when I crawled in here was 20 days before I found a sponsor. First thing she said is, take the big book, read the first 164 pages, write down every must and every have to and call me. Uh, two days later, I called her. And what, what that proved to me and what she was trying to show me is if you want the recovery that the first hundred got, you do what the first hundred did. And when I looked at those must and have tos, and then her question was, are you willing today, as you are today, to do that? And if she had told me to eat nails, I would have been willing. That's how I wasn't desperate. I was in a panic. So thank you so much for all you shared. And it brought, brought up a lot of, of real intentional memories that I try to keep focused on because I'm a chronic forgetter, but also working with brand newcomers with the attitudes we come in with that are so bizarre after we get here. You know, y'all, I didn't know I was a compulsive overeater. And that is crazy because I was eating every few minutes and I couldn't stop. Um, but I didn't have that vocabulary and I had to have information before I could have transformation. And that's exactly what the literature gives me. Thanks so much for letting me share. Thank you, Carla. I guess I'll go ahead and take a share. I'm Chanel. I'm a grateful compulsive eater. Thank you so much, Patrick, for coming on in clutch for us. And, uh, and there are, of course, our newcomers here. So I just have a question for you about um, you said that you weigh and measure at restaurants. So I'm presuming you take your scale with you when you travel. And if you could speak to that, and, and I'll tell you why, um, I have two sponsees about to travel and it will be their first abstinent travel. So it, I would love to hear your perspective on that. Thank you. I do. It's, it's actually the, the, you know, I pack, I pack um, two scales, you know, the, the primary and then a backup. Right. Um, and it's always the first thing I pack uh, because I want to be able to be free enough to enjoy my vacation without worry. Right. Um, and then I have a plan. Right. I, I, I typically will plan out the first day or two of 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 the food. Um, I do a little research when I know about my destination, I do a little research as to where I can access the things I need to purchase. If, if that's the case where I'll be able to prepare food, um, what that might look like, or if I'm going to restaurants, I always do a little menu search. And then my sponsor and I have a conversation about it. Right. Um, there are, there are a couple of, um, there are a couple of instances in which I don't have to weigh and measure. If I'm going to a familiar restaurant locally, right. Where, where I live, and and I've I've identified a meal that works for me in an abstinent way, um, and my and I've gotten um, approval um, both from my nutritionist who is very good at at answering my texts, and um, and uh, my sponsor. Then then I can um, I can you know not weigh and measure at the table, uh, but I don't weighing and measuring at the table and asking for that extra portion of vegetables and can I get a spare plate? All of that's gone away. Because you know what I found out about it? And here's what I would say maybe to share with your sponsees. If they're self-conscious about doing that in a restaurant, here's what I found out. Nobody gives a rip what you're doing with your food. They're all concerned about what they're going to get and what they're going to eat. That's what they care. They're, I am not that big a deal 
where everybody in the restaurant goes, oh, look at that weirdo with the scale. No, I am not that big a deal. It turns out that people have things to think about other than good old little Patrick, right? Gee, who knew? You know, um, selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our troubles. Well, the self-centeredness is certainly at the root of mine. So I've, I've had very little trouble. And I've, I found most folks in, in, in restaurants to be very accommodating. And I, you know, I'll spiff them, man. I'll take care of them. They take care of me. I'll take care of them. You know, uh, uh, it, I learned a long time ago, um, a generous tip um, is, is, is an interesting way to communicate with other human beings, you know. Um, and so it, it, I, I've just never found any resistance um, except in a couple of cases where things were difficult, I, you know, and it was just logistical things. And then I've, I figured out a way. The other thing that I would, that I would suggest for your sponsees is I always have backup food with me. Um, I tend to do that. I have a, I have an abstinence bag, you know, it's kind of a man bag, whatever you want to call it that I will carry around if I'm going to be walking around. And in there, I have things that I can, I can use for backup foods if needed. So um, that's what I would say. And then I would say, enjoy your vacation, right? Because you'll be free from the obsession and you'll be present. And that's been the beauty of my travels um, in the, in, 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 since I got to Overeaters Anonymous is I'm fully present to the experience of the travel and what I'm there to see and be, and be a part of. So. Thank you so much. Appreciate you, Patrick. Mm -hmm. Heidi, you are up next. Go for it, Heidi. Hi, thank you. Thanks, Pat, so much for showing up tonight. Really appreciate your service. Um, and I always love to hear you. Um, the thing that hit me most was um, when you said about the jaywalker, because I, I definitely, I, from the first time I picked up the big book, which was not right away when I came into this program, but when I finally got open to reading it, um, the jaywalker, the jaywalker was the first story that I identified with. And I said, yep, that's me. But I never, ever considered what it was like for the people around me. Um, so that really hit home. And thank you for that. Um, yeah. And so page 30 is actually my favorite page in the book. And, uh, you know, I read all the time, right. It talks about the illusion and the delusion. Um, and mm. I would just, I would love to hear from you the definitions that um, I have in my book, um, which I don't have in front of me. I have, a, I have an unmarked book in front of me, but the definitions that I have are um, the illusion is the, the lie and the delusion is the um, belief of uh, the believing the lie in spite of evidence to the contrary. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I would love to hear from you, you know, having, you know, having had a number of years in, in recovery in another program, um, what, you know, what it took to concede to your innermost self that, uh, that you needed to do this program as well. Well, Heidi, I think, you know, you, you've heard my story and it, what it took was a responsible recovered member of this fellowship to call me on my shit. Um, I was sitting on a bench in, uh, in the Atlanta Convention Center, um, sweating profusely. I, at this time, I'm only able to walk like five to 700 feet at a time. It's, and this place is huge. And, 
And, you know, I'm in, I'm in, I'm at the international world convention with 60,000 other people of the fellowship that I love that freed me from the obsession to, from alcohol. Right. And, and, you know, I, I love AA and I'm there and I can't participate because I'm obsessed about food and I'm, I'm, I'm physically unable. My back is killing me. I've got braces on both legs. The people that I, that I traveled there with and whose home I stayed at, who accompanied me, are, are more concerned with my inability to, 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 to move around. And this individual who 12-stepped me, you know, when she saw me, she, she shooed her husband away to get coffee for them. And she sat down next to me and she said, how you doing? And I said, fine. You know, I, I tried to deflect and And she said, bullshit, you're dying. And I'm tired of watching this because she had she had witnessed sort of me coming, you know, growing, so to speak, um, in all the wrong ways. Um, and so for me, it, what what punched through that was was what she described in this fellowship as a way to to. Um, to recover from this fatal obsession, and, and again, I couldn't, I was, I, I was so hung up on the idea that I needed a second fellowship, right? That I have, why me, the both of these? And, you know, it's funny because a couple of weeks after, or like a couple of months after that, I'm sitting with a, with an AA sponsee of mine who's brand new. And I pull out a weighed and measured snack. And he said, what's that? And I said, well, I'm a member of Overeaters Anonymous now. So I, so I do this with my food. And he says, well, I know what that's about. And I'm looking at it. Now, this guy's still shaking from coming off booze, right? And I said, okay, genius, what do you got? And he says, well, that, you're, you're just going to help more people. Mm. Is it possible that the God of your understanding brought you here to be of service to his kids? Is it possible? that your estimation of why you're here and why you have this disease is just incorrect and that what you've been given is a gift. The gift of being able to help others be freed from this horrible affliction. Because that's been my experience. Is that now I can communicate freedom from both. Right. Thank you, Susan. Thank you so much. And now we will turn off the recording. Thank you, Nancy.